Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung. He is a wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial, based in Long Island, New York. He's also the author of a new book called Financial Planning Made Personal, What Did You Do Today That Brought You Joy? Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Larry. Hey, thanks for having me, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. Let's start with a little bit of your background and how you became the financial planner and wealth advisor you are today. Yeah, so long and windy path didn't set out on this direction, but uh, you know, to uh, give your listeners some background, uh, you know, I've been a little bit entrepreneurial since the age of uh, ten or eleven. Started with a paper route, and then uh, you know, at the age of thirteen, saw my mom get diagnosed with cancer, and uh, I, I watched my dad go through the trials and tribulations of keeping a household together. Uh, we were not a uh, wealthy family by any means. We weren't poor either, solid middle class. And uh, my dad was a New York City school teacher and also had a uh, side gig before there were even side gigs. But, you know, watching him take care of my mom, take care of the family, left an indelible mark on me as a, uh, as a child. And as I entered uh, university and school and, and you know, education, uh, it was something that looking at financial services and wealth management, looking back on my childhood and my dad, he never had somebody, he never had a financial advisor, never had a wealth advisor. And not that that would have mitigated any of my mom's ailments or, or made you know her journey any better or worse. I, I think it would have made my dad's journey a little bit better if he had somebody that he could rely on and have a conversation with, and you know help guide him to uh, to plan for this. Maybe even plan in advance of this even happening. And uh, you know as I got older and went through college, it became something that was you know of much interest to me. I felt like if I could do for people what was not done for my dad and help them navigate and have a plan in place. So if they were to navigate something my dad did, that it would go a little smoother. They'd have less of an emphasis on worrying about, uh, you know, taking care of the finances, the household, worrying if they're going to make it and just worry about the care of the individual, that it would be a very rewarding career. And on top of that, it would be also excellent if we could help people plan for exciting things, you know, fun stuff like, you know, maybe a new house purchase or uh, a child or grandchild or retirement, whatever was really important to them. So it was something I felt like I could be entrepreneurial, fulfill a lot of needs, be entrepreneurial, make a really good uh, mark on the world and do some good and, uh, you know, have a rewarding and long career as a result. And I'm in the middle of it and I haven't looked back since. So your statement is, uh, what did you do today that brought you joy? Why is that your statement for a financial planner? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little unique. Uh, basically, it stemmed out of the uh, the tagline of my podcast, the Midland Money Mindset. We started asking each of our guests that very question, and as I started asking myself that, I, I started relating it back to you know my profession and noticing that you know as as you probably are aware, people when it comes to financial planning, it, it's incredibly burdensome and people find it as a daunting task. You know, 
planning for their future, saving for different goals and objectives. And, and I started thinking, you know, what if we reframed it and what if we started thinking about those joyful events in life uh, and what the outcomes would be from doing that planning and actually sacrificing and saving some of those funds? So it became a great uh, phrase, what did you do today that brought you joy to keep people focused? And we've had a lot of fun with it. I've had t-shirts, uh, you know, uh, written up with that saying on the front. And, you know, I think one of the stories I say tell in the book was I was online at an amusement park and one of the cast members uh, stopped me and out of the blue just said, I ate a bag of Hershey Kisses. And I was like, okay. And I was like, great, good for you. And I'm like looking around half like, why is she telling me this? And I looked at my wife. I looked at my boys who were with me and they said, hey, dope, look at your shirt. And my shirt said, what did you do today that brought you joy? So she ate a bag of Hershey Kisses and that's what brought her joy. Uh, so it's something that's resonated and we're trying to impart upon uh, the families we serve that financial planning can be a joyful experience. It just really takes a little bit of a mindset shift to, to, uh, to understand and incorporate that. A big part of your book is how to plan for retirement and save for retirement. In general, as people are approaching retirement, the baby boomers are in their 60s and 70s now, either in retirement or approaching it soon. Do you think most baby boomers are in pretty good shape as they've approached retirement and saved enough, or do you think they're not in good shape? Well, I think that's a great question, Jordan. And as my book is titled Financial Planning Made Personal, I think it's very personal, right? Everybody's different. Um, you know, for the most part, the people that we encounter every day uh, tend to be in pretty good shape when it comes down to retirement. Uh, you know, most uh, many people are not too far off track, but we also are aware and and uh, are not ignorant to the fact that there are a lot of folks out there that are off track and, you know, they just may not be finding their way to us as financial advisors. And those folks are really where, you know, there's a huge potential impact. They need a lot of uh, help. Um, I would say this also, you know, I know, although the book talks a lot about retirement and different aspects of it, me personally, I, I'm not really a huge believer in the construct of retirement. I, I think that, you know, the whole idea of working for 40 or 50 years or whatever the time frame is, and then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden getting to enjoy life is not really, you know, ideal to me. And that's where the joy comes in. Also, we should be figuring out a way that we can have a career a rewarding one, uh, have a family, enjoy our family, you know, time with our family and that time we spend with them and have work-life harmony so that we have more joy in our life all along. Why should we have to wait for 30 years to experience that joy? We should be experiencing it through our entire lifetime. But to answer your question, a lot of people are and a lot of people aren't. It, it all depends on who you're talking to when. So what you're saying is the people who do not have financial planners in many cases, are not taking the steps they need to do to save and plan for the future, whereas those with financial advisors are. You're saying that makes that much of a difference. I, I think there's a lot of uh, data that supports having an advisor helps, uh, you know, your success rate and beyond path. What what I am what I what I'm saying more so than having or not having a financial advisor is more along the lines of those people that are, you know, lower income, you know, financially distraught. They're in a difficult, more difficult position. If if we could provide 
financial advice to everyone, I, I think that we can make a huge impact and help people be more retirement ready than they are today. Unfortunately, there is a large group of folks that are not going to be able to or don't have the means to tap into those services, which makes it very challenging for those uh, individuals, for sure. I mean, there's loads, millions of Americans that Social Security is their only source of income. I, don't, I think it's like 40 percent of something like that. Correct. Very high. Uh, and uh, even more, it's like 90% of their income, something like that. So, I mean, is there anything you could help them with if, if they haven't saved anything in their, in their 60s and 70s and just living off Social Security? I mean, is there anything you could do to help them? I mean, at this at this late stage, it's probably very difficult to make any changes, right? There's only a few, there's only a handful of levers that you can really pull to uh, to try to make that retirement a little bit more successful. You could either raise your income, which may require a part time job or something, you know, of that nature to raise the amount of money coming into the household. You could lower your expenses. Uh, or you have to change your expectations. So, you know, I think the important thing, which, and I also, you know, point this out in the book, it, it is vitally important that you not wait till your 60s and 70s to start addressing this. And again, whether you use an advisor or not, I think the important piece here and the important takeaway is starting early. The earlier you start, the better path you're going to put yourself on. And, you know, there's a great table, which is kind of eye-opening to most that we show it to in the book that outlines if you started at the age of 20, putting $1,000 a year away and just increase that by 200 bucks a year until you were 45. Basically, the largest amount you would ever put in at age 45 would be $6,000. And if you had that money invested at age 65, you'd have over $2 million accumulated. Versus if you wait till 45 and start putting $6,000 a year, raising that by $1,000 a year, you're only going to have less than $600,000. I mean, I'm sorry, $895,000. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Because we have much more time for compounding, is what you're saying. People—that's the eighth wonder of the world. You yeah. know, you have to start early. It's 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 powerful. Yeah, you start your book with discover your why. And what what do you mean? Now, people need to be motivated to do this financial planning process because they don't know their why, they won't do it. I think it's hard, you know, you know, if you uh, if you don't have a path, you don't know, you know, you'll end up where you need to be. Right. So I think the idea is to understand why you're going to go through the financial planning process. Why are you saving the money you're saving? What is really that ultimate result that you are looking to get? out of the planning process. It's no different than what you want to get out of your career, your life. You have to understand that why and what you're going to get out of it. Keep the end in mind and then you have a proper path on figuring out where you are today and how to get to where that why is. What would be some examples of whys that work, that are appropriate, that motivate people? Yeah. So, I mean, again, everybody's different, but for me, you know, saving for my, my kids' college education wasn't about the sacrifice of putting that money away for them. Uh, I've envisioned watching them walk across the stage, getting their diploma and getting their degree. And that to me brings a lot of joy. And while I was saving and perhaps sacrificing now for later, uh, it was really motivating me to be in a position to put that money away and save for them. 
Uh, we've had other opportunities to, you know, move. We bought a new home, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, but we were saving money proactively. So figure out the why. Why do we want that home? Well, we wanted a family. So that really motivated us to do those things. And I challenge everybody to do that same process for their own financial well-being because that will motivate them as well. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung. He is a wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial, based in Hawpaw, New York. You can find out more about his book, Financial Planning Made Personal, at the website financialplanningmadepersonal.com or also his website, midlandfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung. He is a wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial, based in Hawpog, New York, on Long Island. His book is called Financial Planning Made Personal, and he does have a website, financialplanningmadepersonal.com, and also his corporate website, midlandfinancial.com. Welcome back to the show, Larry. Hey, thanks for having me, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. So the next section you talk about is paying yourself first. This sounds like the advice your grandmother gave you. So, <laughs> I mean, we've yeah. been saying that, but why do people not do that? Or, you know, what's the advantage of paying yourself first? Well, I, you know, I, I took it from the uh, the richest man in Babylon. It was something that was uh, really made an impact on my life uh, early on, and I read early on, and it sticks with me today. And 
you know, I think when we look at what's going on in the world and, and we think about ourselves, you know, we have to understand we're the most important people in our own lives. And unfortunately, kind of the way we've uh, set ourselves up financially is not in that same vein. And what I mean by that is you have your income come in, you're busy paying all the bills, all the people you owe money to, the electric company, your rent, your mortgage, whatever, whatever bills, you know, are pertinent to your household. And then essentially whatever's left over is there for you. And to me, that's very backwards. And, you know, a lot, many times there's not a lot left over. So that does not afford a great opportunity to put money in a retirement account, an emergency fund, your college education, or all these things that we talk about. So the important thing is pay yourself first, figure out a number, you know, ideally if you could do 10% or more, that's fantastic. And then learn to live off the remaining 90%. Take that 10% and direct it to various uh, accounts and savings vehicles that work for you, whether, like I said, emergency fund, retirement, kids education, house fund, whatever that is for you, break it up and then use the remaining 90, 90% to pay those bills and expenses uh, for your livelihood. This way you're paying the most important person yourself first. You're making sure that you have that money and those funds available for those goals and objectives. And ironically, you know, we found it time and time again, most people will learn to adapt and adopt to that 90% fairly easily if they uh, put a little work into it. So you have to make a choice. You can't fund everything. I mean, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and don't feel like you can put anything aside. But if you have to make a choice of where to put that roughly 10%, would it be a 401k? Would it be a Roth IRA? How do you choose which vehicle is best for, for that to paying yourself first? So it, it depends on where you stand financially, right? So uh, you want to make sure that you have a couple key things. You know, again, depending upon how many goals you have will depend on how you slice and dice that 10% up. But let, let's say, for example, you have a, um, you know, you have an emergency fund and you're just concerned really about retirement. Well, you know, you have to figure out what or how much a proper emergency fund would be for you. And maybe it's initially splitting it up half and half, half to the emergency fund and half to the retirement account. And then if your emergency fund for you properly would be, let's say, six months or 12 months worth of expenses, once you hit or approach that amount, then you can cut off that bucket and redirect those monies all to your retirement account. Or maybe by the time that happens, you have a second goal. So the whole idea is to, you know, again, going back to what we said in the first segment, find your why, what are those goals and objectives that you're looking to achieve through those, through that why, and then figure out a game plan on how to start funding them. And as you mentioned, you can't do everything all at once. You know, we have a tendency if we overwhelm ourselves, nothing gets done. So the high idea, is to break that up into more digestible pieces, figure out that strategy and, and divert it to those various areas. Now, if you're asking me, for example, the retirement assets, 401k should be a great spot for you to go, especially if your employer is doing some kind of match because that's free money. So you should at least be contributing to that 401k up to what you would get on a match. And then you can look at other vehicles beyond that IRA, Roth IRA, once you come to a point where you may be maxing those out. But don't leave that free money on the table because that's just gonna help you, uh, you know, achieve your goals that much faster if you take advantage of the employer match. Now you say credit card debt is evil. 
yet it's rising at a very fast pace. I think we're over a trillion dollars in outstanding credit card debt at very high interest rates, 20% plus. So it may be evil, but people are using it an awful lot these days. How can we stop them from uh, in, engaging in this evil? Yeah, I mean, credit cards are terrible. I, I will say if they're if they're used improperly, uh, if you use them properly, they're perfectly uh, fine and valid. I myself use credit cards almost exclusively, but I also never maintain a balance from one month to another. So basically, I'm using the credit card as a vehicle so I don't have to walk around with cash. And the credit card companies, quite frankly, don't like me very much because I do not pay any interest to them. They do, however, like the folks that pay interest because it's high, you know, double digits, 18, 19, 15%, significant amounts. So the idea is you have to, you know, plan, you have to create a budget, you have to figure out a way that you can, if you're going to use the card, use it and pay it off. Uh, you know, I have a, a 20 year old in college right now, and we just got him his own credit card. He's been an authorized user on our cards for years, and now he's got his own. But he understands, and he, you know, the importance of not building up that debt. He only puts on the card what he knows he's going to be able to pay when the bill comes in. And sometimes, if you know, he goes out to dinner and he pays for a bunch of the folks he's with and they Venmo him money, he immediately takes that money and puts it against the card because he understands he doesn't want to get caught up in holding a balance. And that's what you know we should be imparting upon folks to do that. They should not be paying or putting anything on a card that they wouldn't otherwise be able to pay for cash, which means they should be able to pay for it at the end of the month. So they're very, you know, when used properly, they work great. You could get a lot of good perks from them, but when they aren't used properly, they could be hugely detrimental to your financial wherewithal. Yet, about 40% of the people who have uh, credit cards do revolve balances every month. And what they would tell you is their expenses are going up. You know, there's inflation out there at a faster pace than their income. And the only way to maintain their lifestyle is to go into debt to do it. What would you say to those people? I say that they're probably incorrect because there are two other things that they could potentially do to uh, to avoid or circumvent it. One is, you know, they should have a plan in place. And if they plan properly from the beginning, they may not find themselves in the position that they're in. And two, remember the the income, right? The, the, the income can change. That's not a static variable that cannot change. There are other ways to create income streams. You could either look for a new role that may be paying more so that you can afford those things. You may be able to cut expenses. Listen, I, I myself have reviewed all my expenses. There have been, there were subscriptions I was able to cut out that I wasn't using that I didn't realize I was being billed for. We went back to vendors that we utilize for our home and we, uh, you know, negotiated back lower prices because uh, lower uh, monthly fees because they hadn't been evaluated in a long time. So there are other ways to achieve your goals and it doesn't have to go on a credit card. Uh, there are other things that you can can do to try to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a little time, effort, and energy, but usually it's worthwhile. You say that budget is not a dirty word. I guess people think of it as an arduous task they would rather avoid. How can you make budget a joyful experience? Yeah, so what I mean by that isn't a dirty word. You know, I find, and, and this is a fault within my profession, a, a lot of folks who are in the advisory profession, 
you know, when putting together a plan or helping a family develop a plan, they'll look at the family's budget. And when they do that, it becomes what I call an expense shaming exercise where the advisor looks through and says, oh, you're spending too much money on this or too much money on that. And, you know, I use like, you know, coffee as, a, as an example. If somebody looked at my coffee bill on a monthly basis, somebody might say, you know, hey, you know, you should cut that out because if you were to save that $3, you know, four times a week and put in a Roth IRA, you can have an extra $30,000 when you retire or whatever the number is. And my answer to them is I get a lot of joy out of drinking that cup of coffee. So why should I stop it for some retirement date that, you know what, I may never meet. I may never make, let me enjoy the coffee. So what I mean by the, the budget isn't a dirty word is if you wanna have the cup of coffee, if you wanna take the trip, if you wanna do something that has a financial price tag uh, to it, just budget for it and plan for it. If you plan for the expense, it's not an issue. But if you just go out and decide to spend X number of dollars on a whim, uh, without planning for it properly, that could end up being problematic. You say our budget doesn't have to be restricted. That's the way most people look at it. It's, it's stopping them from spending what they want. How can you do a budget that's not restrictive? You have to plan. I mean, Jordan, it's as simple as that, right? You know, you don't, the budget does not have to be restricted, restrictive at all. Basically, you look at the money or the, you know, the uh, income you have coming in, the money that you have going out in expenses and you make room. And as long as you budget for these things that you want to have, you know, that are joyful in your life, as long as it can fit in there, you can put it in there. It doesn't have to be restrictive. Now, you may not be able to do it next week. If you, you know, if you want to take a very expensive trip, you may not be able to fit that in your budget for next week. But instead of doing that, maybe figure out how you're going to accumulate those funds for that trip over the next 12, 24, 36 months so you can do it. So our budgets don't have to be restrictive. We can create them however we like and, and include things that we want and need. But you have to also plan for it and make sure that it fits in that framework. And if it doesn't, you may need to extend the time frame to have it fit in there eventually. What are some tools that you would recommend people use uh, to do budgeting, particularly everybody having their phones today and having apps so that can kind of keep track in real time of your spending? What would be some of your recommendations for that? Yeah, so I mean, there's some things, tools that are offered by banks, you know, themselves that'll show you that. There are some other online tools. I, I can't really recommend one over the other. Um, but again, it ends up becoming a tedious task sometimes, becomes overwhelming. And if it's, if it's too much of a challenge, then people don't do it. So it could be as simple as just creating an Excel spreadsheet and having, you know, the amount of money you have coming in each month where the expenses are going at a high level and seeing if you're cash flow positive or negative. The whole idea is you want to find a system or a process that works for you that's easy. You can revisit every six to 12 months to make sure you're staying on track and something that's not going to be overwhelming that you're going to do it once and never do it again because budgeting is an iterative process and you have to consistently you know, relook at it and make sure that you're still on target to where you set out things to be. You've created a white paper for budgeting. Tell people about that. Yeah, so there's a white paper available. If you go to midlandfinancial.com and uh, put in a search bar budgeting, uh, it'll come up and you can, you know, it's a free download for your listeners and they can help uh, get a head start and some assistance in how to create a budget. 
Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung, uh, founder of Midland Financial, based in Hog, New York. Uh, he's also a wealth advisor and author of the book Financial Planning Made Personal, and that's also his website, financialplanningmadepersonal.com, and also midlandfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung, wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial, based in Hawthorne, New York. Uh, his book is called Financial Planning Made Personal, and that's also the address for his website. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Appreciate it. So you talk about side hustles as ways to reach your goals faster. What are some, I mean, people spend a lot of time driving Ubers and DoorDash. What kind of side hustles do you think are worthwhile people putting time into? Something they love. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. If you're going to do it and, and uh, look to derive joy and income from it, it's got to be something that you really enjoy doing. And, you know, one of the uh, the stories that I share in the book is actually with from a family that we serve that, you know, it was a husband and wife. They were they were had their first two kids and uh, the husband is in the medical profession and they needed and wanted some additional income. So the, the wife uh, really enjoyed photography and uh, was really good at it. So she started taking photos of other moms and their babies and kids. And 
she really has turned this into a significant business as a result, which has added significant income to the, to the household. And I think the impetus and really the thing that really drove her was the fact that she really loved photography, really loved taking pictures of other families and other children. And, you know, the point here is, you know, it doesn't matter what the end result is or what you do for the hot side hustle, but if you love it, you enjoy doing it, it again, it doesn't feel like work, which is, really how we should be living our lives more joyously in a way that work does not feel like work. It feels like life and it's kind of integrated. So I think the most important thing when finding a side hustle is look at where your strengths are, where your enjoyment comes from and see if there's a need within that framework, that overlap that you can fill a need and potentially generate income from it. You say the added benefit of doing a side hustle is it teaches your children to work and save is that a lot of kids grow up today and don't really have that uh, example you're saying well i mean i listen we could get on you know this would be a whole nother show we could talk about financial literacy in this country and i think that there's you know uh, a definite uh, you know shortfall there and you know i've heard for my 20 plus years in my in the profession about how schools need to implement this teach etc and the bottom line is it doesn't and has not happened so i really think it's important for families to start taking this undertaking and i think when a when a family has has a side hustle or the somebody in the family has a career that's entrepreneurial, I think it leaves a lot of and tends to create a lot of lessons uh, for everybody in the family, including the kids. Um, you know, my kids, for example, and I talk about this in the book, you know, were products of myself and my wife, both entrepreneurial uh, in nature. And we taught them from very young age. We actually had a uh, piggy bank that instead of having the traditional one slot in it, had three slots and there was a slot for spending, a slot for savings and a slot for charity. And when they would either earn money from doing, you know, chores around the house or get birthday money, we tried to edu educate them on the fact that, hey, you know, you got this money, you certainly should spend some of it, enjoy it. You should also save some of it for later, and then you should also be grateful and perhaps give something to uh, to charity. And I think those are the lessons that come from when somebody has a side hustle, they're a little bit different and you take that time because they're the kids are actually you know, involved and seeing it on a day-to-day -day basis rather than you just leaving for work and coming back. They don't really know what goes on there, but when the side hustle is in the house, they're, you know, they're enveloped in that for a uh, longer period of time. Yes. You spend a lot of time in the book talking about how to plan for retirement, and you start with a big question, how much money is enough? I mean, we do have inflation, people are living longer, so how can you possibly figure out how much you're going to need in 30 or 40 years or some long time off in the future? It's really tough. It's like, you know, throwing a paper airplane into the wind, you know, and hoping it lands exactly where you want to go. You know, chances are first shot, it's not going to do that. So what you have to do is it's something that you have to create a game plan on where you are today, uh, where you want to be, like you mentioned, 30 or 40 years out. And even more important than that, is to benchmark it and evaluate it at least you know annually to make sure that you're making progress to those goals because if you veer off the course even one or two percent and you're not addressing it it could become a uh, a problematic situation down the road so you know it's it's not like you said it's a difficult thing to 
you know, process and come up with that exact number. But the idea is to figure out something that will get you there and continue to monitor and then maintain it. And I think you have to be careful about what inputs you use when you're determining how much is enough or what you're going to need in retirement. For example, you don't want to under, underestimate the inflation rate, right? You don't want to put in maybe 1% inflation because that's probably going to underestimate how your uh, costs or expenses are going to rise. Uh, you don't want to underestimate what your healthcare costs may be. So, I mean, it's really a multifaceted approach because it's not just the money. It's also about your health because as you get older and your health changes, that could dictate you know, how much money you may need to take care of your well-being. The important thing is to have a game plan, understand where you are today, where you want to be in the future, put in some variables or utilize variables that are realistic and not under, uh, you know, unrealistic. And most importantly, make sure that you are evaluating it over time, your progress to make sure you're on that path to success. And just because you set out a goal or a number today in 30 years of X doesn't mean that that's going to be the same number that you're shooting for in two or three years, because it's a very iterative process and you have to make sure you're adjusting over time. And also over time, what you spend money on is probably going to change. You say when you get older, you're probably going to spend more on health care than when you're younger. And when you're older, you might spend less on business clothing if you're not going to the office or something like that. So there's a shift in where the money goes as you grow older as well that you have to plan on. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you it couldn't have said it better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amounts may not uh, change all that much. Maybe they will. Depends on your personal situation. Uh, but certainly there's going to be a shifting in those uh, those expenses. And, you know, for those listeners that are on the younger side, you know, what I would say is, number one, start earlier. Because like I, we talked about earlier in, in terms of starting early is key and, and utilizing compound interest. The other thing is taking care of your health is very important because the healthier you are as you get, get older, uh, the less of a financial burden your health will be. And, you know, I think uh, Warren Buffett was, uh, you know, gives that analogy of, you know, hey, if you realize that, you know, if when you turn 16 or whatever age it is by you to start driving, if I were to give you one car and that was going to be your car for your entire lifetime, how well would you take care of that car? You, you know, you'd make sure that it got cleaned, it got oil changes, it was cared for, because that was the only car you're going to get. Well, I liken that to our bodies. We only get the one body that we're living in today. It's of utmost importance that we take care of it because that's going to not only help us, uh, you know, health-wise, but financial-wise, mental-wise, et cetera. It, it has a lot of added benefits by taking care of ourselves. In planning how much you need for the future, you say inflation is a hungry monster. Now, a year ago, the CPI was 9%. Now it's like 3%. So most people saying inflation is not a problem, it's down, the Fed Reserve's raised rates enough to get it down to the 2 to 3% range, so we really don't have to worry about it anymore. I guess you wouldn't agree with that. Well, I mean, listen, I don't know that, you know, you still have to worry about it because inflation is always going to be there. I think you have to worry about it in terms of what's the long-term average rate of inflation. For example, you know, we, we're, we didn't change our financial plans for folks last year when inflation peaked at 9%, we didn't change their inflationary rate to 9%. 
because uh, if we did, you know, that basically means that their expenses would be doubling, you know, every like five or six years. It wasn't really a sustainable number. We didn't think it was going to stay up at those levels for very long, um, like we've seen. So I still think that you, you know, you can't disregard it, but you have to include it. And you have to look at what the historical average is, which, you know, is between two and three percent has been the historical average. So we have a tendency to overestimate inflation in our financial plans and we'll skew to the higher end around the 3% mark because our feeling is if inflation is actually lower than that over time, we're putting our families in a better position, not a worse position. So, you know, if, if you're planning the other way and you put in 1%, that's going to be a much different animal and you may end up having a shortfall in the future. But again, you want to adjust that because as that long-term uh, you know, trend changes with inflation, you may want to update that number as well. So it's something that absolutely has to be included and you can't ignore. Speaking about shortfalls, we have a whole chapter on saving early for college. Lots of people getting to college these days and not having close to enough saved for the tuitions these days. And going into huge amounts of student debt, both undergraduate and graduate. Is that something you think most families can uh, avoid having that trap? Yes, there's uh, $2 trillion in uh, student loan debt at the, at the very moment, which, and it's growing, you know, it will start growing in October when the pause stops for uh, student loan payments. So we have a big problem in our country with regard to student loan debt, and I boil that down to really three participants that are causing this issue. One are the schools themselves. They're tremendous marketing organizations and, and great at doing it. Two, the federal government and private lenders are free to give out, you know, almost unlimited amounts of money for higher education. If you're a business and you want to borrow money, you have to put a business plan together. But for education, you know, they basically write you a check so you could go to the school. And three, the students and the parents themselves are at fault. You know, we see a lot of families that send their child or kids to schools that are, you know, maybe not in their price range, maybe not in their financial wherewithal, but they are afraid to disappoint their kids uh, for whatever reason. And we spend, we see families spending more time in evaluating their newest car uh, purchase or their next home purchase more than they, um, you know, evaluate and look at the return on investment for colleges, which is crazy because the college cost is almost very similar to a car or a house. We have to start looking at college and higher education from the standpoint of what is the return on investment and not just going to a school for the sake of going to a school. What do you say to people who are expecting to have 10,000 or as much as 20,000 of their student debt wiped out and all of a sudden the Supreme Court reverses course on them and they're really very, very disappointed, something like 43 million Americans who are counting on that. Yeah, well, that's going to be, that's a fluid situation because as of last week, they say they're planning on now canceling debt for 800,000 borrowers to the tune of 39 billion. So that may be coming. But again, I think it doesn't, uh, it doesn't circumvent the bigger problem, which is even when all said and done, we have a $2 trillion problem that needs to be addressed and canceling 10 or 20,000 or even that 39 billion I mentioned that they're looking at right now is not going to solve the root of the problem. And we have to figure that out. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung. He is a wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial based in Hopog, New York. His book is called Financial Planning Made Personal, which is also the 
address for his website and also his corporate website is midlandfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Sprung, wealth advisor and founder of Midland Financial in Long Island, New York. His book is called Financial Planning Made Personal, which is also the name of his website. Welcome back to the show, Larry. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. You have a chapter on insurance. Do you think most people are underinsured or overinsured? Yeah, most people are underinsured. And, and you know, we talk about in the insurance uh, section, not only about life uh, insurance, but also even property and casualty. Uh, because, you know, I think that in our profession, in the wealth profession, a lot of people are focused, advisors are focused on the, you know, the, the balance sheet and looking at the assets, not necessarily the risk to those assets. So we just wanted to point out by including it that it's not just about the assets. You have to make sure that you're protecting yourself in the case of a loss, whether that be a loss of a of an income earner or a spouse, or even the loss of a, um, you know, an article of, uh, you know, expensive piece of jewelry or a piece of artwork, it's important to understand what potential losses could uh, exist in your, you know, in your life and protect those. Well, lately, a lot of particularly home insurance companies have been pulling out of states like Florida and California that have hurricanes and floods and fires. What do you recommend to people where your insurance company cancels you. Yeah, listen, it's it's problematic. It uh, it it you know it happened to me many years ago uh, in the home that I'm in now. Uh, my house is about a mile from the water, and the insurance company that I had decided that if you were you know a mile or if you were over a half a mile from the water, they weren't going to insure you. And I'm literally like nine tenths of a mile. And if you get to the water, by the way, you know, um, there's about a 200 foot elevation down to the water. So the chance of anything happening are very small, but yet the insurance company went out and said, hey, we're not writing any coverage. So you have to go out there and look around. Sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, time, effort and energy. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it may behoove your listeners to talk to a broker rather than an agent because a broker may have access to many different uh, 
you know, companies and see who may be the best fit for their coverage uh, and see what the cost is and see if it makes sense to do that. So it is a challenge and it's something that uh, probably can continue to be a challenge as insurance companies suffer these very large losses from some of these, uh, you know, uh, major storm systems that we've had over the last several years. You also talk about long-term care insurance. Uh, that's something that got very expensive. A lot of long-term care insurance companies pulled out of that market. Um, so do you think it's still worth it <clears throat> for the average person to buy a long-term care insurance policy earlier in their life? So I think long-term care really presents a huge risk to a lot of people. And it's very difficult to um, say that from a financial planning standpoint, it's very personal and you have to look at everybody's situation. So, you know, as, as you said, a lot of companies have pulled out of that market. So that's made it a little bit more challenging. Pricing has gone up because there are less options. There are some in new innovative ways where you can basically add on a long-term care rider to an insurance, a life insurance policy, which has solved some of that. Uh, and it really depends. I mean, we want to make sure that we're going over that risk with all the families we serve. So whether they decide to purchase an insurance policy or they decide to self-insure, at least they're going in with eyes wide open. So what I, what I would uh, challenge everybody who's listening is they should at least go through the process and take a look at it. In the end, it might be right for them. In the end, it may not. But at least go through that process and know what they're saying no or no or they're saying yes to so they understand how that might uh, fit or might not fit into their overall plan. What I've been hearing lately is a lot of the financial advisors saying to get long-term care as a rider to a life insurance policy, like a, a universal index uh, life insurance policy. Do you think that's a good idea instead of just a, a pure long-term care policy? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was alluding to earlier. It's something that we use quite often. And, you know, from a, from a consumer standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because what happens with the long-term care policy is you could be paying for many, many years. And if you pass away before you ever tap in or use it, you may get zero benefit from it. You know, it's like an auto insurance policy. If you never have a crash, you pay all those premiums every year and you may not get any benefit from it. So with the insurance policy that you have, the life policy where you have the long-term care rider, it gives you the, the knowledge of knowing that uh, at the very minimum, somebody's going to get that death benefit or you're going to use that death benefit while you're living for your long-term care needs. So, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I think it makes them feel a lot more comfortable because they know somebody's going to get those assets. Uh, but at the same time, you have to see how it fits into the overall game plan and if it makes financial sense for you and your family. Your final chapter is picking a financial advisor. You say you should get a fiduciary financial advisor. What's the difference between a fiduciary and a non-fiduciary? Why should you pick a fiduciary. Yeah, so basically there's two types of advisors out there and I, I will tell you this, it's very difficult to really delineate who's who or what's what because everybody uses the same title, right? Wealth advisor, financial advisor, a financial planner. And some of those people that are using those titles, they could be just selling insurance products for a commission or they could be trading stocks for a commission or they could be you know, a, a full service fiduciary advisor like we are, but it's hard to tell from the the, uh, the titles and the name, the, you know, the nomenclature. So it's important to understand that there's really two types of advisors out there. You have those advisors that fall under the FINRA 
you know, rulings that are brokers, which basically have to abide by the know your client rule. And then you have other advisors that are fiduciary advisors that fall under the fiduciary rule. So they sound similar, but there's, you know, minor differences that are majorly different. And that is under the broker rule, you have to know your client. If you know what their financial situation is and you make a recommendation, then you're fine as long as you know what their financial makeup is and you've documented that. And typically they're being compensated uh, via V some type of commission. A fiduciary advisor, much different. They have a much higher level of standard of care for the families they serve. They have to always act in a fiduciary capacity, which means they have to always do what's in the family's best interest. If you think about the fiduciary standard, it's the same standard that your doctor, your lawyer, and your accountant have to live by. Now, you might ask, why is there these two different, uh, very different ways of servicing uh, families, and why wouldn't it always be a fiduciary? I don't know the answer to that. I agree. I think when we're working with people's hard-earned money, we should only be working with fiduciaries and only working in the family's best interest, but that's really the difference. And then the fiduciary is typically compensated from the families themselves. So they're paying the advisor directly and the advisor is receiving no compensation from any type of provider or mutual fund. They're not getting paid for the transaction. They're getting paid for the advice and guidance. So my, my sense is I don't understand why anybody would not want to just work with a fiduciary advisor. And I think everybody should so that they're making sure that they have people on their side that are always acting in their best interests. And legally, uh, if they're doing something that's in their own interest and financial advisor's interest instead of the client's interest, you have a legal case there. Is that right? Which you don't really with a broker. Correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the broker can technically do things in their own interest as long as they know your financial wherewithal. So it, it makes very murky situation. And, you know, there was some legislation put through, you know, several years ago in the Obama administration, they were trying to put together, put through the fiduciary standard. Um, it didn't fully get through. And to, to this day, Jordan, it boggles my mind that people in this profession can be working with families, their hard-earned money, retirement assets, significant dollars, and not be a fiduciary. I, I, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. In the short time we have remaining, just kind of sum up why it makes a difference to take the advice you have in this book, Financial Planning Made Personal, instead of what most people do, which is just kind of bumble along, not have financial advisors, not have financial plans and kind of living it moment to moment or paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, so I, I think I liken this to going into a car and going cross country and trying to do that without ways, right? And not having any kind of directions getting you there. Uh, if you don't have any directions or any idea where you're going, you'll end up there. It's not a problem. It's going to be hard to get there. Now, there are certainly people that have the personality that they have the ability to just go and end up wherever they're going to end up. But for the most part, people don't have that type of personality. So the important thing here is if you have an advisor, you can certainly help uh, get you on the right path, understand where you are today help you figure out and understand where you want to be in the future, and then help you navigate a path to get from point A to point B. And, you know, many times we have our own lives, we have our own families, it's very difficult to do that on our own. And it, it, it's very empowering to have somebody as 
an extension of your family, extension of your team to kind of bring order to your life by organizing all of this in a way that's going to be easily understandable that you can track over time. Very good. Well, if a lot more people did that, I think they'd be in much better financial shape. Thanks. I so agree. My <laughs> guest this hour has been Larry Sprung. Uh, he's the founder of Midland Financial based in Hawpog, New York. Uh, he's a wealth advisor. His book is called Financial Planning Made Personal, which is also the title of his website and also midlandfinancial.com. Thanks so much, Larry, for being on the Money Answer Show. I think our listeners learned a lot from you today. Thanks, Jordan. Enjoy your day. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.